Hello and welcome to the Impact Alumni Podcast. My name is Paul Clifford and I'm your host. I'm the president and CEO of the East Carolina Alumni Association and I produce this podcast to help alumni alumni relations practitioners uh, around the world and around the world deal with some of the issues that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And today I'm excited to have Dr. Gene Kroom, who's the president of the Indiana State Foundation, join me on the show today. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Paul. Thanks. It's, uh, I'm happy to be with you and, and uh, look forward to having our conversation. Absolutely. Well, now, Gene, you've been with the Indiana State Foundation now since April of 2007. You have over 18 years' experience in higher education, having worked uh, primarily in advancement and, and higher administration roles at Western Kentucky, at Mars Hill College, and at Tidewater Community College prior to coming to Indiana State. Uh, talk a little bit about um, how you how you grew into this profession, where you started, and, and, and what goals you might have set out for yourself early on to, to get you to where you are today. Well, for me, it probably really did start when I was a student at Western Kentucky University, and had the opportunity to be the co-chair of the student-run annual phonathon at that time, and that introduced me to the advancement professionals and uh, uh, you know helped me understand the diverse um, roles that advancement plays, whether it's alumni, whether it's uh, fundraising, whether it's university relations, marketing, communications, and I enjoyed that a great deal. So after working for the Boy Scouts briefly in Dallas, Texas, for a couple of years, coming back to Western Kentucky and uh, taking a, a, a position in the university relations office was um, just—I I just knew instantly that that would be a career that I would would enjoy a great deal. Excellent. Now, uh, in, in our conversations, we we were talking uh, we were talking about as we prepared for the show that you all run you have a traditional advancement set up there. You, you're run by the traditional advancement model, but you do it in, in a somewhat of an untraditional kind of way. Talk a little bit about that. We, we do. Um, the Indiana State University Foundation is a separate 501c3. We have our separate board of directors, and as the president, um, I report directly to the board of directors. Now, I serve on the cabinet of the university, and our university president is one of my board members and on our executive committee, so we really are very much a, a very traditional, freestanding 501c3 foundation that serves the sports university. What's interesting about our model is that we also have a separate 501c3 alumni association with uh, our executive director, and that organization, uh, upon my arrival four years ago, that organization now is an umbrella organization underneath the foundation. So we have a unique organizational style or structure with regard to where alumni reports within the uh, org chart, if you will. But frankly, we do have a very traditional uh, advancement uh, operation. And so it, it, I think it really shows the creativity in higher ed today with regard to uh, how you can structure the functions of advancement and in particular alumni relations. Uh, but uh, the work that we do is, is very much um, true no matter what institution that you're at. It's always interesting to me that, that people want to um, follow a, a traditional organizational chart, if you will. You know, this needs to report to this. That needs to report up up to this. And it it, it oftentimes, uh, you know, when people start to talk to me about that, I ask the question: If we were organized differently, how would our missions change? And, and ultimately, whether we're we're separate or together or reporting over here, reporting over there, uh, it, it often strikes me as 
as odd that that would change the way we would think about working with each other. Uh, Paul, that's a, that is a, a great point and a great observation because um, your mission, you, sh- you know, if you are true to who you are, especially as a college or a university, and then your advancement mission, your alumni mission is derived from that pretty directly, you should almost be able to have any organizational structure, but that structure should really depend then upon the talent and the individuals that you have on your team and what, the, what their gifts are and what they bring to the organization to help you execute the mission. And I think we're seeing that, actually. I think what we're seeing is organizations in, um, in higher ed, the affiliated organizations, as well as the universities, become um, much more open to uh, creative organizational structures because it's all about talent acquisition. It's about getting good professionals and putting them in a position where they can succeed because when they succeed, the university's mission and the college's mission advances forward. And so you are seeing, I think, more creativity when, when it comes to organizational structures because people are, are out trying to recruit the best people to come be a part of their team. Gene, you've been you've been at this a while now, uh, with over 18 years' experience in higher ed. From from the time you got into it at Western Kentucky to today, what are some of the big things that have changed? Well, a couple of the the, the more significant changes that I, I think we've experienced in, in higher ed in the last 20 years would uh, would be the the aggressiveness in which people are pursuing um, additional funding. Uh, that has certainly ratcheted it up. Now, people will say publics are just now in the fundraising game, but the reality of it is college presidents did have a major fundraising role at public universities a long time ago. It was just called the General Assembly. So they lobbied the legislature as, as much as they would a private philanthropist. So what we're seeing now, though, is more aggressive resource development activities, and you're seeing alumni associations and foundations taking a broader understanding of what it means to secure resources. So they're becoming more entrepreneurial. Uh, they're becoming more open to organizational structures. And you're seeing a little bit more freedom with creating auxiliary 501c3 nonprofit organizations to support universities so they can pursue those additional fundings. And, for example, the last 20 years, creating uh, student life foundations, which become financial vehicles to do re- residence hall renovation, you know, that's a very big change for uh, higher ed. But but functionally, it's no different than what uh, uh, separately incorporated alumni associations and foundations have been doing for a long time. But you're seeing much more of that. I think the other more significant change you're seeing is the uh, the quality of the professionals coming in, advancement, uh, coming in the advancement area has only increased. Uh, by far, there's a deeper talent pool in American higher education today in the advancement area. And, and to one extent, you know, that's fantastic, uh, but to another extent, making sure that you have pay, compensation, benefits to keep good people on your team. It's much more competitive to recruit and retain good people. Those are probably the two most significant changes I think that I've experienced. You know, I have I have a theory that I'm working on, and I, I haven't fully fleshed this out yet or, or done too much research on it. But I want to I want to throw it out there and, and see what your reaction to it is. Is I, I would make the argument that. Um, the academic enterprise, and, and I would say this is nationwide, but, but particularly with public institutions, but that the academic enterprise has been, has been hurt or is, is somewhat deteriorated because of everybody's focus on funding. And, and I guess the, the premise of my argument is that, you know, it used to be the chancellor going to the general assembly and then it was 
the responsibility for fundraising was the vice chancellor of advancement and then and then development uh, officers would be responsible for fundraising but you look at college campuses today and everyone who sits on a on a president's or chancellor's cabinet has fundraising responsibility from from deans to department heads to vice presidents all the way down to individual directors in in student affairs who need to raise money so that they can offer the kinds of programs and when i say raise money i'm not always talking about private philanthropy but going after corporate sponsorships and, and things of that nature my argument is that by us focusing on the funding of these programs really takes away from the time uh, that would be better spent or, or building richer programs and, and putting more time into being educators again as opposed to the fund, funding of education I think that is uh, uh, I think that is absolutely spot on. I mean, I wish I could have articulated that that clearly because what we've wrestled with at Indiana State University is that exact uh, perception. And, and what we encounter is the recruitment of deans and explaining to deans that since we're in a campaign, fundraising is going to be forty percent of their time or fifty percent of their time. And, and Paul, to support your your uh, thesis there. We take the exact opposite approach. We share with folks, we don't need a fundraising dean. We need a dean to be the best academic dean they can and to lead their college programmatically because the better the programs, the more support that we can provide them. And I think what, what has happened is that we have placed too much emphasis on presidents in particular because running a, a university or college today is a very, very complex enterprise. And we, we, we put this expectation for resource development on, and I think in the advancement profession, what our opportunity really is, we need to create stronger organizational models whereby we can tell the dean, hey, look, we want to put you in the best position to meet the right people to get the resources for your program, but go create a great program. The more time you spend creating a great program, then we can do our job in serving you. And um, I had an interesting experience. I chat with Bobby Fong, the uh, president of Butler University, not too long ago, and asked him, does he believe in the concept of the fundraising president? And even though he didn't say no, he said, I'll tell you my role as president. My role as president, when I'm involved in those discussions, is to take the story of Butler University and the story of that philanthropist and put them together. And, you know, he went on to explain that, that the development shop really has the key role of making all those things happen and helping them function. And I think the Alumni Association does, too. It opens that front door to get people engaged in the conversation. We don't hear deans talk about they need to be a good alumni director, uh, and that's because I, I don't think they understand that alumni associations provide that first level of contact. So nor should we expect them to be these tremendous fundraisers. We need to, to be entrepreneurial and take that responsibility as, I, I think, part of the advancement area. And I think that probably supports what you're saying. I think that's a great observation. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I, I find myself struggling with more on, on a day-to-day -day basis in that, you know, how much time we spend when we're planning an event on the logistics of an event or how much time we spend on our membership program, which is which is important, but it's it's not... We're not membership organizations. We're engagement organizations. And, and so all the time that we spend on the, uh, the funding of our mission as opposed to the fulfilling of the mission and all the time that we spend on the logistics for the event as opposed to the design and, and the thought and the theory behind why we're doing an event and building value into an event that gets people coming back to more, I, I think is more time spent away from our mission. And, and quite frankly, I, I think about that more and more often than I than I ever did. 
I think that's a, a good thought, Paul, and uh, I guess a, a, a response in the form of a question to you. You know, you've heard people talk about uh, less is more, um, and when they describe less is more, they, basically what they're talking about are really all, all of our programs good and high quality and doing what they need to do. But, you know, from your experiences, do you think that alumni associations should focus on having fewer core programs and really make those outstanding and, and quit trying to engage in so many different areas like that because you are chasing the funding dollar? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a delicate balance because you know I, I certainly understand the less is more concept, but I, but I also understand that the diversity of the alumni population that we serve um, has such varied interests that you you almost need a a broad kind of um, a broad approach to engaging everybody's interests. That's why. Um, that's why I try to focus our staff on, you know, we do we do a, a fair bit around athletics like most alumni associations do. Um, but we are, we are very conscious to the amount that we do with athletics to recognize that, you know, 40% of our alumni may be interested in that, but there's still that other 60 out there that we that we have to continue to serve. I think where the less is more comes into comes into play is uh, we want to make sure that we're spending our resources in the places where it's going to have the greatest impact for the institution and so that's why we've gone away from necessarily having you know the happy hours or the socials and have really tried to deliver programs that deliver value to alumni um more along the continuing education and career networking and those types of activities uh and so if if we're doing less, we're doing less in one area so that we can go deeper into those more valuable types of programs that we have the ability to deliver to our alumni. That's an excellent perspective. Well, let, let me talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, you coming in as as a person who takes on challenges. And I know you've had challenges at every institution that you've taken the leadership roles that you've had throughout your career. But let's focus a little bit on on Indiana State. You mentioned that you are. Um, you are in the last 18 months of an $85 million comprehensive campaign. And, you know, uh, comprehensive campaigns aren't new, but they're new to Indiana State. You, you mentioned that this was the inaugural campaign, I will call it, because, as you know, once you start one, you'll go to the next mini one and you'll be in a silent phase of another. But talk about um, how, you, how you approach the culture at Indiana State of never doing something like this and, and now being 18 months away from, uh, from accomplishing your goal. Well, it, it, that's been the uh, it's been both the most rewarding part of the work, but also obviously the most challenging piece of it. Because four years ago, when I started, uh, part of the reason that this opportunity really spoke to me was because the foundation board had indeed reorganized. Um, we were one of the few public institutions left in the country where the president of the university was still the president of the foundation, and so then you had the vice president of development who served as the executive director, and with the uh, Sarbanes Oxley and the tax laws changing in the IRS, that, that obviously was very problematic because it raised a lot of conflict of interest. So they were looking for a new organizational model, and uh, that's when they engaged AGB, and then, and then basically they set up the broad structure of what they thought they wanted with the foundation, and that's when I came on board. So we've had the great opportunity to both shape our organization and culture um, as Indiana State was going through a significant leadership change as well. Since I've been here in four years, We've had a presidential turnover, and this is since the campaign started. So in, wow. in year two of the silent phase, we had a presidential search and a new president come on board. Four of our five deans have changed. And then all four of our major um, 
sports have changed head coaches as well. And those changes are, are, are rather seismic. Yeah. So when you have that type of leadership transition, uh, a lot of your donors really start to question, um, you know, what's this going to look like? And they're waiting for the vision to emerge before they make the investment. Right. Couple that with the fact that Indiana State did not have a deep uh, philanthropic culture and did not have a broad philanthropic culture. So we've had to build the giving culture, build the foundation board with uh, exceptional volunteers who understood that, and then help get them engaged in getting their colleagues involved. And so at times it's been a very slow process and a little bit frustrating. But on the other hand, professionally, it's been one of the most rewarding um, periods of, of my life by watching our team grow and at the same time watching our alumni, our donors, our volunteers, and the internal community at Indiana State grow as well. Now, it happens that we've had a wonderful president come on board, we've had exceptional dean hires, and we've had good coaches step into those positions. So they get a lot of the credit because they've done their homework as well. So it really is uh, a team effort. And the neat thing about it is, is that we're we're setting a new culture at Indiana State that's going to that's going to be in existence for the next uh, 20 years. And uh, that's a that's a very exciting proposition. That sounds a lot like the situation that I came into at East Carolina when I got here. Uh, we had four chancellors in five years, and wow. and turnover with with the vice chancellor positions and deans, and have been and now I'm on my third football coach uh, since I've been at East Carolina. But the, you know the message that we continued to put out to um, out to donors and out to alumni and out to people considering supporting the institution has been once Chancellor Ballard was, was brought on board now, uh, six years ago was the most important thing for the success of East Carolina is the continuity of leadership. And so, um, getting behind the Chancellor's vision and, and supporting that, whether it's through the, through the campaign or, uh, through other kinds of contributions is what's going to keep East Carolina stable and strong for both the, the short and long term. Yeah. And, uh, we, we've, we've encountered, uh, a similar perspective here too. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the, the, the biggest emerging issue for um, higher education as we go forward. And what, what I'm starting to see with college presidents and with foundation professionals, we can't shape or change what a university does with regard to keeping a president in that position. But we sure can affect the culture a great deal to talk about succession management for our advancement teams and to have consistency of leadership over time. Uh, I firmly believe that um, the only thing that's going to that's going to support an institution's long-term growth and development is um, uh, consistency of leadership. And you know we're well past the days of one of spending your your entire career at one institution, but we need to talk to people and create benefit structures and compensation structures and in working environments that really um, uh, support and benefit people staying at a place for eight, ten, twelve, and fourteen years. When you look at the average tenure college presidents, whether it's in public or private, it's far. There's far too much turnover, so that puts a burden and a responsibility on us in the advancement profession to be very, very consistent. I'm not saying turn down opportunities if they come up, but I am saying that you can create opportunities within your organizations. Be very intentional about succession management and leadership development, and um, I think really benefit your institution. And in fact, our board, uh, I'm just uh, very pleased and proud they did this. They just approved the succession management plan for the Indiana State University Foundation. So we, we will take about 21 
of our core leadership team out of our, our out of our 50 folks in the foundation, and they will be working with a, a consulting firm doing executive coaching, professional coaching, uh, three-day leadership workshops, talking about their career, work-life balance, uh, how to be a good professional, and we've done that to invest in our team members so we can take an eight- and ten-year um, look down the road. And you're right, Paul, this is our inaugural campaign, but our mantra is this campaign is all about the next campaign. Right. We have to be successful in the inaugural campaign because Indiana State has a real opportunity to be one of those shining stars that grows for the next 20 years. And, uh, and, and there aren't a ton of those opportunities in higher ed, but when they come, you really need to take advantage of them. So succession management, leadership development, and continuity of leadership is a priority. Absolutely. Well, that's some that's some good stuff, Gene. Uh, you're listening to the Impact Alumni Podcast, and we're talking with Gene Kroom, the president of the Indiana State Foundation. Well, Gene, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, you, you've been a leader in our profession for a while and always a person that we look to for, for advice or, or to see what you're doing. And uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you, Paul. You can learn more about the Impact Alumni Podcast on our website at alumnipodcast.com. You can also connect with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us today, and until next time, take care.